This town deserves a better class of Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome back to Duncan and Bo, Come Correct, your gladiatorial cinema struggle in which myself, Bo Ransdell, and uh, my esteemed colleague, Duncan McLeish. Hello, Duncan. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, Bo? I'm doing wonderfully. So we uh, we do battle. Um, it, do, it is not necessarily a blood sport, although I like <laughs> to think of it that way, in which we uh, we choose a film for one another. And uh, that the other has not seen, based around a theme. Today, we will be talking about films revolving around a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily mysteries, which we talked about earlier um, in the season. But, uh, but yeah, so we have returned uh, for this, uh, this battle of wills, this, this struggle o cinephiles. Um, and if, if my count is correct, Duncan... That we are at three two, yeah. Your lead, yes. First time I've taken the lead. Uh, um, this season, this, yeah. this season, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been it's been fairly fairly hit or miss for me thus far this season. So I, I was quite glad to to kind of bounce like one point up. I love that idea of. Um, this being kind of like blood sport, like some sort of, like the German word for cinema is Kino. Um, so some sort of Kino committee, uh, I think is, I think is absolutely fucking fantastic. <laughs> That's pretty good. And um, both, both spelled with a K, I would assume. Of course, of you course. Uh, of course, of course. It has to be, um, or, the, or the joke doesn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it's been, I think, I think, Listening back to the episodes, what I've realised is very much like I thought that first season really was um, kind of like boxers in their first couple of rounds will feel the other opponent out, trying you know kind of sense weakness, um, and then you tend to find in the later rounds just come out swinging, and that's what the second season has certainly been. I don't think I think the standard of movies is. Not not to be dismissive of anything from our first season, because I would recommend every movie on that list. Um, certainly this season has become um, far more focused in on those particular niche grooves in cinema, which, I mean, every single movie we've done this season thus far, I have loved. So um, the last season, I like quite a few of them, but it's just, it's like adoration across the board for the movies. And uh, we'll see if that continues on to this week, Paul. All right. I'm I'm curious and I agree. And also as a footnote, Niche Groove is my DJ name. <laughs> I wondered that. I yeah. wondered that there was, a, there was enough references in his mystery, his aura, um, his cult of personality that made me think, is that Ramsdale? Yeah, it's a bit of a uh, Daft Punk situation in that I'm always be-masked. Uh, so. Always walking around with a biker helmet on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am... Uh, uh, I like to flow. Um, but, uh, so before we get into the, the films of this week, um, which are wildly different kind of movies... And oh, God. And, and one, I would argue, is the Frenchiest French movie that ever Frenched. Yeah, The Gift, obviously. <laughs> yes. Um, but... Well, there was a lot of wine in The Gift, you know. Yes. There, the floor, so, yeah. A lot of wine and 
far fewer, like about six thousand percent less penis. Yeah, in, in the I gift. I can't wait to talk about Stranger by the Lake. Yeah, it's all right. We'll we'll get into that, but. Uh, uh, as always, warning to our listeners, both of these movies do contain elements, not necessarily of mystery, but but certainly turns in the plot that we are going to wildly spoil as we yeah. talk about these movies. So uh, The Gift in particular is a, a very recent release in the U.S. So uh, if you haven't seen The Gift, we're going to go ahead and tell you right now, uh, you know, see The Gift before you listen to this. And, and Stranger by the Lake is available on Netflix uh, in the U.S. currently. Um, in Scotland, probably sometime in 2017. It wasn't. It wasn't on Netflix or Amazon, but I was out yesterday and did manage to pick up a copy relatively cheap um, at a, a music store. So I picked oh. up a copy for like a couple of quid. It was like three pound for the Blu-ray. So, um, so there you go. It is, yeah, it's on. It's on Netflix here, which is uh, a, a little bit hilarious to me for reasons that we will get into, but. Uh... <laughs> Before we do that, um, not only do we uh, watch films designated for uh, for our battle, we watch other movies. And Duncan, give me a, a good and bad of, uh, of films that you have seen since last we spoke. The good list is really difficult because I have been blessed to have seen quite a lot of really fucking good movies since we last recorded. Um, I'm going to obviously focus on one, but on the, 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 the kind of, I would feel remiss to not mention that, um, I did check out the new movie by Dennis Villeneuve. There's a guy that directed a uh, prisoner and enemy. Yeah. How is that? It's fucking brilliant. Absolutely. That guy got a lot of money put behind him to make that movie. Um, and I, I really struggle with the name of it because it's Mexican. Uh, Sicaro, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and basically, it's a kind of cartel thriller. You know, like the American government. But it's basically a police, FBI squad, I think, um, who get dragged into this CIA play on the cartel. Um, Benicio del Toro is phenomenal in it, absolutely terrifyingly phenomenal in it. Um, but right across the board, actors and actresses in that movie, great story, great cinematography is fantastic. Score is amazing. One of the best movies I've seen this year by quite a bit. I mean, it's like it's easily top three for me this year. I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so but, I was wondering but, what... Before you, you move on from that, I do have to tell you a, a quick story uh, that you will appreciate. Oh, right. uh, so uh, director of Lost After Dark, Ian, and I were talking the other day, and we were talking about that movie, Sicario, because he had seen it. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? You in particular will love it because it is the one of the bleakest movies. Oh, yeah that uh, he had seen in some time. And I was like, well, you know, I do enjoy a terrible a story that ends terribly. So yeah. it's, it's, it's got those, I mean, there's like, if, if you're, if your friend is saying to you that you like it cause it's bleak, imagine what you would think of me in terms of a bleak ending. I love bleak endings. Sure. That's oh, 100% what I'm about. Um, and this movie gives you, it's not necessarily bleak as in it is coldly accurate to what happens. Okay. I think, I think that's where it lies. I, some, I sometimes think when, when Hollywood sometimes tackles the darker subject matter, there is a need 
to maybe put a slightly positive spin at the end, you know, almost like a Jerry Springer's life lesson at the end. Right, right, a little bit of whitewashing and... Yeah, this movie doesn't do that. <laughs> Excellent. This movie, this movie cinematically mic drops and walks off the stage, I love it. <laughs> you know, I... I, I'm re- uh, I, I'm just amazed that uh, Dennis Villeneuve um, just continues. Like I haven't seen Sicario yet, but everything else in his body of work I've seen, and it's all amazing. Like yeah. the guy just can't make a bad movie. It seems. Yeah, it's, I think there is a particular visual eye to um, Sicario as well, which I recognize coming from Enemy. So he's he's definitely bringing that kind of. Because Enemy was an in, well, it wasn't an indie movie, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't made for the mass populace to see him carrying over certain aesthetical tropes across as well. But the guy's eye for 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 detail and the, the way things are shot. There's a particular scene on a bridge, um, in which it is it's like a car chase scene, but it's in gridlock traffic. So no cars are moving anywhere, but you still have that adrenaline pumping through you as if the cars were traveling at like a hundred miles an hour. Um, yet no cars are moving. And that, that's to me is, is genius. Yeah, I mean, you, right. the adrenaline is pumping in that sequence and no one's moving anywhere. And I just think that is so, so clever. And he does it with, I, I can't anything with his name against it now. And I will very much like the, the Dennis Wheatley's and things like that. Anything with his name attached to it. And I will see if he tomorrow said that he wanted to do, I, I, I don't know, like music videos for Shania Twain. The, I would probably watch them as well. The sequel to Jim and the holograms. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be there day one. Um, <laughs> So yeah, um, it's it's definitely worth checking out. The other one I'm going to touch upon quite quickly um, is the is one that you might talk about. I don't know. I'd I'd be presumptuous to to suggest that, but it's Crimson Peak, uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, Suffice to say, I loved it. I thought it was everything that I wanted from a gothic horror movie, Um, and it upsets me greatly to see that. This will be another movie that Del Toro has put his name to that has wildly underperformed in the States. Um, yeah. I don't know how well it's performed over here, but imagine quite well. I think all of these movies have done really well in the UK and in Europe. Um, I, I just, I, I think to myself, I, I, and you could look, I, I don't even blame him. I blame it squarely. At, I, I heard how it was getting marketed um, by... Um, you know, uh, Lionsgate and things like that. Or was it? No, it's not Lionsgate. It's uh, Legendary. Legendary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen how they were marking it, and they are marking it as like a like a full-on ghost horror story. And the fucking movie isn't. Uh, it, it couldn't be any further removed. That yes, there are ghost elements here, but it's really a gothic romance mystery. If anything, it kind of carries over tropes from. From the, the you know the kind of the, the Corman era price movies uh, right through to there's there's Hammer horror elements in there you know there's there's a lot of that going with his very unique visual style um, is not really a horror movie and to market it as you know they have been marking it feels a bit strange when you listen to Del Toro and the run up to the movie being released stressing that it isn't a horror movie. He's come out and said it isn't a horror movie. And yeah. that, that sort of mixed message does nothing but confuse an audience who doesn't really want to have to look into 
is this movie a horror movie or not? They kind of just want to go and see the movie, and I think that probably hasn't helped it. Coming out the same week as Goosebumps probably didn't help it either, um, which is a you know, it's a family horror movie, which is is going to play to a huge market. Probably didn't help it either. I think it's I think visually it's stunning. I thought the cast were phenomenal. I thought the story, and I'll agree with you, whilst being a bit predictable at times felt like it was referencing and um, paying homage to a lot of movies that I love. Um, And it it kind of finished, and I I just kind of wanted to stand up and applaud it. It That sort of... Del Toro is one of the few directors that makes me be fully engrossed in his imagination. He has that way of really bringing you directly into his vision in a way that very few directors can. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. I love that movie. The one I want... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, he clearly does have a passion for the subject matter that he has, like, mired himself in. Mm-hmm. And Crimson Peak, like, every frame of that movie, you, you feel like, like Del Toro was given these toys to play with and is just giggling to himself at oh, every yeah. step. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, I will talk about Crimson Peak a little bit as well. But I, uh, I thought you asked me. Right, the one I'm going to talk about... Um, is a movie which it, it doesn't appear to be divisive because I've not heard any really, I've not heard anyone say they don't like it. But I will say that the final girls is an absolutely fucking terrific slasher parody. I mean, like genuinely, a movie that has its heart completely in the right place. Um, does references to things without trying to be meta. About it. This is we've been saying for years now that we want a slasher movie to come along that doesn't feel the need to be so meta in the way of Scream. And this movie does it, but it does it in a comical way. Um, I think it's so much fun. I, I laughed so much at this movie. I get the references, I get the jokes. I think whilst it's not maybe the most original idea in cinema, like people being sucked into a movie. I mean, look at things like The Last Action Hero. Um, it's been done before. I don't think it's ever been done in horror before, um, out with horrible Freddy Krueger things and movies that he did. Um, uh, there was also a movie called Midnight Screening, I want to say. Yes, that's right as well. You know, so it, it hasn't, hasn't been done a lot. What Final Girls does is kind of puts it in a more kind of teen comedy sort of environment. Um, it has a whole lot of heart. It doesn't have a lot of what... The, the reason it seems to be getting... Not ragged on, because that's... that. The reason people seem to be criticising it um, is that it's a movie that's dealing with slasher stuff, yet <clears throat> it doesn't go as far as the slashers it emulates. So there is no, like, gratuitous female nudity in it, and there isn't really a lot of gore in it. And, and my counter to that is there are hundreds of films... Thousands of films that will give you the gore that you want, will give you the tits that you want, but won't give you the heart, the soul, or the story, or the acting. And this movie gives you heart, soul, acting, and story that I can forgo a little bit of TNA and some blood in favour of all the rest. And it is one of the movies that I can I can think of in recent memory, which there haven't been many, that when it finished with this kind of hint and a wink towards a potential sequel, that when the movie finished, I was like, oh, I want to see that sequel. So, yeah, people should check that movie out. It's out on VOD at the moment in the States. 
check that movie. It is, it is a lot of fun. If you grew up watching 80s slashers, there is enough references in there to make you smile, but I love the fact that they bring it into the modern day and then take it back to the 80s. I think that's, I think it's very, very, very clever. It's a movie that people should check out. Excellent. All right, but enough about good things, Duncan. <laughs> what have you, have you seen anything that's really crappy? Because if not, yeah. I'm going to be a little disappointed. I've seen lots that has been bad. I'm doing this 31 days of Halloween thing at the moment. So I, I like I said on the previous show, I um, have kind of focused myself into I will only cover movies that have come out this year. And um, whilst there have been quite a lot of interesting movies, there's been a whole hell of a lot of bad out this year. Sure, that'll happen. Uh, oh, my God. Like, pointless movies like The Lazarus Effect. Don't understand that at all. It was just boring as all hell. Um, it was like a really shit Flatliners. <laughs> yeah. You know I, I mean? think that's on the back of the box in the States now. It just, <laughs> you turn it over, it's a really shit Flatliners. Um, I, I obviously checked out Eli Ross Knock Knock, which... Uh, I'm assuming someone's knocking because you've fallen asleep. It was so, so boring. And Keanu Reeves can't fucking emote. Why put a character in a movie that has to run the gambit of emotions and choose Keanu Reeves? I don't get Right, I he's great in John Wick, but don't make him make yeah, you feel, yeah. <laughs> don't make him act with emotions, because he can't. Make him be a, ki- a, you know, a dead inside killer. He's fucking amazing at that. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a, like totally different uh, different things there. Uh, I checked out a movie called Eaters, which is skippable. Don't watch that. But the main one I want to talk about, and this one's going to be controversial, uh, The Green Inferno. Prepare <clears throat> for it. Uh, didn't like it. <laughs> um, and and in short, I, I I I didn't like it. Um, I didn't hate it. Before people go, oh, you hate Eli Roth. I don't hate Eli Roth. Um. I I think Hostel is an incredible movie. Agreed. Um, and the longer time has gone on, the more I'm starting to think that Hostel was a fluke. Yeah, um, I do too. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, Duncan. I, I I think that Hostel was accidentally a good movie. Yeah, I don't think... I think sometimes we look at it and say it's full of that sociopolitical, you know, how, how the world looks at America and how America sees the world. I think that's accidental. I don't think he was aiming for any of that in that movie. I think it's just... Uh, like a fluke struck a genius. Um, I don't mind Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever's fun for what it is. Um, anything else a man's put his name to since I've not liked. Um, and th- there was a, a high level of expectation moving into this one as well because I do a podcast with Andy Blockley called Doing the Nasty, which is a video nasties only podcast. And there's a whole hell of a lot of Italian cannibal films made that list. So I like I was saying to Andy, who also watched it, who also he actually hated it more than I did. Um and I'll tell you there's a funny story about that coming up. Um basically my issue with it is that Roth wants to make a movie which pays homage to the late seventies, early eighties Italian cannibal subgenre. Alright, I'm on board. Uh, that sounds great. Yep. I'm totally on board as well. Now, there's a lot of those movies are absolutely awful. Like, absolutely awful. Just terrible exploitation cinema, right? But even the most awful one has something that happens in the movie that makes me go, well, I can see why this movie was banned. 
You know what I mean? I can see why it made the nasties list. Right, Other right. than the fact I had Cannibal in the title, there'll be a sequence of animal torture or like some special effect where someone's having their tits ripped off with um with hooks like in Cannibal Ferox or you know a man has his penis chopped off like in Cannibal Holocaust or bestiality and mountain of the cannibal god or you know something in them that makes me think oh my god you know what has been seen cannot be unseen <laughs> right yes young eyes should probably not fall on this film yes yes right so that Green Inferno has nothing like that. It has one particular cannibal sequence, which I thought the special effects were incredible. Um, it promises from the start of the movie that we're going to get some, and I don't want to, don't want to say that I really wanted to see the sequence, but it promises right at the beginning that we're going to get some female genital mutilation, which the movie cops out on. The humor is awful in the movie. Absolutely rancid in the movie. Um, he juxtaposes that kind of dubro humour right beside scenes of extreme violence. Um, and I can see why he did it, because the tone of a lot of these 70s cannibal movies were such in that, very much like like exploitation cinema in the 70s was. I mean, you watch something like Last House from the Left is a great example of the, you've got the bungling cops with that hick hillbilly music playing in the background, driving about the place and getting lost and all the rest while people are being raped. You know what I mean? It's, it, there's a weird tonality about those movies that I, I am assuming he has tried to put into his movie as some sort of paying reference to, or, you know, once again, this this idea of paying homage. Um, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, I would much rather he'd went one of either way. He'd either made a flat-out serious cannibal movie, um, or he had made a comedy you know, made, made yeah. a cannibal comedy. Um, it doesn't sit, it, it does not sit well together. Um, and we had one of the, the kind of most horrific sequences of someone being disemboweled alive. Um, and then two seconds later, you have a diarrhea joke. And I'm just oh, that, like, that is always good in a movie. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing? And then we have a woman who commits suicide in a pretty horrific way after like getting the worst possible news ever she commits suicide and then two seconds later there's a man having a wank um and i just i don't get the the humor's too it's too polar opposite it's not that you know it doesn't segue into it it just cuts to ridiculous humor um and it lets the movie down for me I, for a movie that is trying to emulate trying to pay homage trying to conjure up the spirit of, and I mean, in the credits of his movie, he lists a definitive quick starter, you know, guide to 70s and 80s Italian cannibal subgenre. He lists it about six to maybe eight movies that he says that you should see. And I have seen them all now. And I can tell you every single one of them is a better movie than The Green Inferno. Um, I just don't get I don't get I don't get I, I don't understand what he was aiming for. Um, other than making a movie which is 50% a really good movie and 50% dumb as a fucking bag of dead fucking puppies. Like, really just, like, just, like, grotesquely bad. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, like, yeah. horribly, horribly, horribly bad. Um, and I come in on the, the thing that is not a great movie. I hate it. I thought, like, there's a couple of sequences in it that I thought, this played at cinemas in the States, that is ballsy. 
you know, that that played in the cinema in the States, that's fucking huge because you don't get movies that do that anymore. And I could appreciate on that level, that's all I could appreciate it for. Not one likable character in it at all. Like, I got to the point where I was just like, just fucking eat them already and let's cut to credits. Um, yeah, I mean, when you go back to something like Cannibal Holocaust, there were, you know, those characters were largely unlikable, but they yeah. were they were kind of brazen in their... At least, here's my impression of Green Inferno, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, like, Cannibal Holocaust, like I was saying, those characters are infringing upon the natural world. They are brazen about it. They feel like they are, are somewhat entitled as they go into that scenario. And my understanding is that Roth was kind of doing the same thing with the characters in Green Inferno, mm-hmm. except that instead of being, you know, television reporters who are in some cases... Uh, are documentarians who are in some cases staging things to look more um, sensational, that these are kids who are activists that are trying to, like, you know, uh, sort of a save the rainforest and save the indigenous people sort of thing, mm-hmm. which to me seems like a noble goal. Mm-hmm. And you're you're kind of initially getting what your character should be wrong. In that scenario. Yeah, I think the thing is, the setup for the movie, I quite liked. I mean, I like everything up until the point that they make the camp, where they actually end up in the camp, I thought was quite clever. I mean, he plays it in a way, he looks at this kind of modern day idea of social activism and actually how shallow it is. And I think he handles that really well, albeit the characters are awful characters um, from the start. I think he handles that really well. It's everything after he arrives at the camp, that just, after that first scene, the first proper scene of cannibalism, cannibalism in that movie, the movie falls apart. Oh, um, all right. That's and that's, that's what, Bo, I was not going into it expecting big things. Wasn't going in expecting big things. And the first 45 minutes of this movie, I lowered my guard. And I actually thought, he's done it. Roth has done it. I, you know, I take back some of the things I've said in the past. You know, Roth has, he has succeeded. And within three minutes of saying those words, uttering those words out loud, um, there was a diarrhea joke. And then I was just like, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. And from there onwards, Andy was watching it at the same time as me. He was watching it, unfortunately, 15 minutes behind me. And we were messaging each other as the movie was going along. And um, he sent me a message saying, Holy fuck! I can't believe I just saw that. Um, and I didn't. Well, it was obviously out of context. I didn't know if he was excited or what. So, and I didn't know he was watching it 15 minutes behind me. So I'd said, um, I was like, "Did you just see uh, that the, the awful humor as well?" And he's like, "What awful humor? I've just seen someone be disemboweled on, on the screen." And I was like, "All right." I was like, uh, "What's your feelings to the movie?" It's like, "Oh, I'm really enjoying it. this. Is excellent." I was like, "Give it a couple of minutes." About five minutes <laughs> Just later, wait. Yeah. Uh, about five minutes later, I got the "Oh for fuck's sake" uh, message, and then after that, and like I say, he fell off. I mean, I come away with some positive aspects of the movie. Andy hates it. I mean, I think he he's talking about one of the worst movies he's seen this year. So um, I wouldn't go as far as that. Uh, we covered it on our most recent "Doing the Nasty." He sounds off on it, but yeah, just a a, a hugely wasted potential of a movie i mean he it's clear it's clear from watching it that roth really loves italian cinema 
I know that from the past. I know like in movie like interviews and all this, his knowledge is ridiculous about it. So if you're going to have someone that wants to make a cannibal movie, give it to someone who has a passion and an interest about the movies that really set the tempo. You know, these great, I mean, these movies directly reference, and The Green Inferno is directly referencing um, Cannibal Holocaust. He dedicates the movie to Diodato. At the end, in the credits, it says, Por Diodato, which is Italian for For Diodato. So, I mean, he dedicates the movie to him. And his movie is not a patch, not not a, a speck or grain of salt on a table um, in comparison to the impact, the impact, the cultural impact, or how well that movie still holds up in Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I felt so, I wanted to like it. I really, really wanted to like it. I'll check it out before the year's out again, but I can't get over the, the tone, the, the tonal shifts in the movie just put me off. I, I would much rather he'd settled one way or the other instead of trying to cram both of them side by side. It works in a movie like uh, Cabin Fever. You know what I mean? You can get away with that yeah, goofy yeah. humour because that movie is a goofy movie. Um, when you're dealing with people being eaten alive by tribesmen, um, that's a bit more serious, especially when you're referencing movies at the end which are, you know, a bit more serious yeah, nobody ever walks away from Cannibal Holocaust saying, you know, that was pretty funny. Yeah, no one walks away like you feel like you need a shower, like and a shower, <laughs> right. a shower, and a scrub down with some sandpaper to to get the uh, off you. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah. like how do how do you how do you bathe your soul? Because that's what you need to do. Yeah, as and like I say, as you know, what you've seen can't be unseen, and I kind of feel the same way about Green Inferno, but not in the way. I do. I mean, I, I just kind of feel like I'd, I I almost wish that someone had stripped the humour out and shown me the movie without it. Uh, if there's a cut of that movie out there or a fan edit that takes the goofy humour out, I think that movie is, is surprisingly effective. But I'll be interested. I know you will check it out at some point, Bo. Uh, I will be interested yeah, yeah. to hear your take. It is, it is doing, from, from the general consensus online of my fellow horror friends, viewers, and podcasters, it is doing a lot better with American audiences than it is with UK audiences. So I'll be interested to see what you make of it. Because I know you don't necessarily have much love in your soul for Eli Roth. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the same opinion I think you do, which is Kevin Fever is okay, Hostel is really good, everything else has been disappointing to one degree or another. And Yeah. God, that Aftershock movie. Holy shit, Duncan. <laughs> I've, I've never watched it. Won't watch it after you spoke about it. Can't uh, do it. I hate that movie so much. Um, <laughs> just like it hates me. It hates everything. It hates everyone. Uh, that movie. Um, what about so, you? Yeah, so I did I did see Crimson Peak. That is that is by, by far the best movie I saw uh, since we last spoke. Um, with the possible exception of having watched American Hustle again, which I enjoyed even more the second time around. I've never seen it once, but I the, the Christian Bale in that movie. Oh, oh, he's so good, and Bradley Cooper is really good in that movie too. Yeah, and uh, he's a guy that I tend not to like in movies, but he's really good in that movie. Yeah, I'm the same way. I and and Jennifer Lawrence's character in American Hustle is is truly one of the funniest characters in in movies in some time. Uh, mm -hmm. She's just so you know blindly dumb. Mm -hmm. uh, but but not in a way that like it doesn't demean her character like she thinks she's the smartest person in the room yeah and that's kind of what makes her character so funny but 
Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll just reiterate a couple of things that you said about Crimson Peak, and, and then we'll move to the bad, because that's way better. Um, <laughs> but, but Crimson Peak, uh, it is visually gorgeous. I mean, there is just... I, I'm hard-pressed to think of a movie in recent memory that hit a wide release that just embraces that Technicolor sort of uh, vibe from... You know, you, you mentioned uh, the reference earlier to like Hammer movies and the Corman uh, Poe films and things like mm-hmm. that. And, I mean, the the fact that it is... It, I mean, it's basically if Turn of the Screw and Fall of the House of Usher had a baby. Yeah. And then you threw in Mia Wasikowska as instead of having your, you know, like Jack Nicholson character from the, the Corman movies that shows up... Uh, uh, to to discover the mystery surrounding a horrible family, um, yep. you substitute like Mia Wasikowska's character for that character, and that and that's kind of the film. It's yeah, it's really well done. The performances are great. I think the ghosts that are in the film, even though like her character will tell you, and I think it's Del Toro in a lot of ways telling an audience like th- it, this isn't a ghost movie. It's a movie with ghosts in it. Yeah. And, uh, but the design of the ghosts is, I think, really unnerving. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah, there was something that I, I found really kind of horrifying about, about the look of the, the haunting, uh, in, in this film. And man, uh, Tom Hiddleston is it's so, brilliant. so good in it. He's, he's a phenomenal actor. I, I'm really, really enjoying this, this, um, kind of this move away from obviously he will always now more famously be known as Loki that's the you know the biggest role he's played on like arguably some of the the biggest grossing movies ever made um but this idea of him now moving you know out and experimenting I mean he's in the new Ben Wheatley movie coming out next year so he's not just doing big you know studio releases He's, he's, he's really doing works that he wants to do and he is perfectly cast like absolutely i can't think of anyone to play that role better in crimson peak than hiddleston you know uh you you probably do know the this but for our listeners uh benedict cumberbatch was originally uh del toro's first choice for that role Mm -hmm. and which i think he would have been fine but i i do think tom hiddleston brings I don't know. They, I, like, <laughs> this sounds terrible. I think Tom Hiddleston is a better looking guy than Benabum. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ber- <laughs> and, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and uh, I think they're both really good actors, and I love Bimblebum Cumberbund uh, <laughs> on Sherlock. But I, yeah, I think Tom Hiddleston was actually perfect for the role, and I like Jessica Chastain is great. And there are all these little moments throughout the movie that are just kind of wonderful like you know it, it like with every gothic kind of horror story or film you know there's there's the place in the house you're not supposed to go that contains horrifying secrets and like all that stuff you know i, I did we talked about this of course and I, I did say my biggest problem with the movie is that having been steeped in those films yeah it there's no surprises because i just know the moves those movies make yeah. And, and, and the stories and all that. And, and, you know, so that's the big complaint is that there was just no point in the film where I didn't feel like I was on solid ground with knowing what was coming next. 
Yeah, but I, I, my, my counter my counter to that, Bo, and I made reference to a movie that we both love, which I think is a similar idea done in a different genre, genre is Stoker. When, when we watch Stoker, which is a beautifully shot movie, you know, one, once again, one of the, 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 the most beautifully uh, photographed movies in recent memory, that movie is a movie that from the very start, you know exactly where that's going as well. Because if you have watched many kind of Southern Gothic kind of murder mysteries or mysteries in general, you know where that movie's going. So that they're not reinventing the wheel. They're just steeping themselves very much in it. And yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I wouldn't necessarily hold it as a criticism. Yeah, I, it, it's more a personal thing because I'm always looking for a movie that can does do something some, different. Yeah, right. So I that it is a minor, minor complaint with a movie that I can't recommend enough as not necessarily as you said a horror film, but just as a movie that is just sumptuous to behold. You know, like watching that movie is is at times almost like watching something that's been animated. It's so like colorful and vibrant and gorgeous and um yeah i it it is a real disappointment uh you know as you said that the movie just hasn't done very well here i mean you can partly you can blame that on marketing um but i don't know i don't know if it's a lack of sophistication the thing that really takes me off and you know this is another thing i said to you uh as we were discussing the film but i swear to god the next time i hear a a horror movie fan bitch and moan about how there is no original horror coming out, mm-hmm. then my first question is going to be, did you go see Crimson Peak the opening weekend? Because if you didn't, you're part of the problem. Yeah. You know, like Paranormal Activity, I'm sure, is going to do fine because it's the sixth movie in a series, which, by the way, has been getting pretty decent reviews. I'm curious to check that out. Uh, yeah, I've got to check it out anyway as part of the, the kind of closure on the, the, the Paranormal Activity retro that i did but yeah it has been getting fairly sustainably good reviews not there's been a couple of bad ones but there's not been many like this movie is just a continuation of garbage you know right right but yeah so you know that movie comes out and does okay i'm sure i haven't seen the box office on it but yeah it's 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 really disappointing that more people weren't like oh it's guillermo del toro doing a gothic you know, if not horror film, at least a gothic romance slash ghost story. Mm-hmm. We ought to put our money there because yeah. that means, you know, this will seem like a viable option in the future for, uh, you know, the studios to invest money in. And, you know, the fact that it didn't do well is disappointing. But, um, yeah, it's still, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very excited uh, to to see that movie again and have it on Blu-ray so that yeah, I can... Yeah, that's a movie that, you know, on Blu-ray in your home, you know, cinema system and all the rest, is just, it's like a wealth of riches in terms of how detailed... Oh, you're right. I think on some level it almost felt, you know, when you watch, like, something like The Shining and you just the attention to detail in that movie is so pinpoint. Everything, you know... Kubrick's crafted everything in that movie to the nth degree, and that's you know why a lot of people said he was a nightmare to work with. And then you look at Del Toro, and you get the same feeling that Del Toro is obviously approaching it with far more fun than uh, than Kubrick's non-fun movie shooting. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, the attention to detail of everything, the 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 symbolism, the metaphor, all the way right through the movie, um, even the look of the ghosts. 
which on some level come out the ground very much like the ground coming to reclaim the house. This idea of tree, this tree in the middle of it. Oh, just, it's just a fucking, it just looks so good. <laughs> it, so, it was, I was sitting in the cinema watching it just going, I don't know the next time I'll see a movie that looks as as pretty as this movie, and I'm kind of all right with that. If there, if these things only ever happen with Del Toro, I can live with that. Um, yeah. and, and even things like the, you know, uh, because of the clay of the ground, when, uh, you know, when it snows, it turns oh. red because the, the, cl- the water in the ground is seeping upwards and staining the snow. Red. I mean, it, yeah, it is. Holy crap, that movie is gothic as hell. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Now, now you've, you've kind of set the benchmark so high in terms of this bad movie, which would just kind of the, the small little pebbles of information you've given us. Now, you need to tell me, Bo, what's oh, the bad? Okay, so you know how sometimes I watch horror movies that no one should watch. Yes, all the time, Bo. Um, don't you stop doing that. Uh, what, is, what is it, the mum, not Mummy Returns, uh, but the, the Mummy movie, I saw, like Revenge of the Mummy or, Mummy right, or Scream yeah, of yeah. the Mummy or whatever. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. So in that vein, Duncan, I watched a, a little movie called Poltergeist Activity, uh, which I've never even heard. <laughs> nor should you. Um, but I I can only imagine that they were like, you know, what should we call this movie? Um, well, Paranormal Activity is taken. Poltergeist is out. What if we call it Poltergeist Activity? Um, <laughs> it is uh, the the lead character is either Welsh or handicapped. I'm not sure which. Oh my uh, god. <laughs> The all right, so I mean, it, it's a very traditional story of. And by the way, don't ever see this movie. You, everything I'm going to tell you is is more. I'm giving it more credit than it deserves by discussing it this much. Um, but already, uh, but it, it's you know, uh, father and daughter after the death of the mother move into this house that is uh, cursed, Duncan, and. When you get the explanation of what's going on in the haunting, it's like, oh, yeah, there were slave owners that lived there, and then the slaves rose up and, and killed them. And, oh, by the way, there's this voodoo doll, too, which comes in the form of a little creepy clown doll. And oh, like, no. Yeah, and you're like, wait a second, poltergeist activity. Like, the the murder by uh, slaves is plenty for a haunting. You don't need to whip a little voodoo on top of that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's haunted as fuck. We get it. Um <laughs> And the the lead, uh, the father character, I don't know if he owned a shirt, because uh, all he wore was a wife beater the entire movie. And But in every scene, it was like, man, would you put on just a button-up or something? Um, you know, there's a terrible seance scene where a, a spiritual medium, an automatic writer, um, starts writing as she's being possessed by the spirits of the house. And it, it gets to... You are all, and it's like, you know what? You don't have to finish that. You know where this is going. <laughs> going to die is the last three words. Don't, you don't have to let her, and, and, but the movie takes time to like spell it out of like, and, and the guy, uh, one of the, the investigators or the investigator, paranormal investigator of the film is reading each word as it's written. And again, after you hit all, it's like, you might as well fill in, fill in the blanks here. This is like, you know, the shittiest wheel of fortune puzzle ever. <laughs> uh, 
So that was that was really bad. And then there's also a 10-minute break. Here's another. Kids, if you're making movies, here's the thing you don't do. In the middle of your movie about poltergeist activity, in theory, uh, which, by the way, the only real poltergeist activity is that some, like, paintings and photographs shake on the wall, um, that you don't stop your movie dead for your lead character to have a 10-minute monologue about what a terrible father he is. Mm-hmm. And for a movie that has a swift one-hour, 20-minute runtime, uh, the fact that, you know, uh, about 10% of the movie is one scene where this guy is, like, he's, uh, what was the name of uh, the guy from Ravenous and Train Spotting? Uh, oh, Robert or, Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. He is a Robert Carlyle knockoff. He's like the poor man's Robert Carlyle. <laughs> and just, oh man, it's it's just terrible. It's not unwatchable because it's so ridiculous. And, and for a guy like myself that enjoys seeing a bad movie for all the ways it goes bad, this movie from Jump is like, oh, okay, well, we have bad sound, first of all. That's a winner. Um, the scores sounds like it was composed by a pod of electronic whales. Um, <laughs> it is, it was just rotten. And yeah, so I get to come back and report to you, by the way, uh, written, produced and directed by Andrew Jones. I want to point that out because if you ever see his name attached to a project run, <laughs> uh, the, the lady looked up, uh, the other films that, Andrew Jones has done. They include uh, Amityville Asylum, and uh, there was another movie that I cannot remember right now. But yeah, so uh, some other haunting film. But so the guy kind of traffics in super low budget ghost movies, and mm-hmm. I don't think he's getting better. I can't imagine that the movies he made before this are are better. Like I don't think this is the movie where he fell down. I think this is probably as good as he's been, and this movie was terrible. <laughs> so, if someone uh, stumbles across the movie Poltergeist Activity, and someone near you says, hey, we should watch that, then you punch that person in the face. You 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 run from them, they are not a friend of yours, and in fact, maybe Andrew Jones, is all I'm saying. <laughs> right, that's on the list, do not watch yeah, yeah. Or or if you want to if you want to watch a movie that is hilariously bad and you want to kind of, you know, mystery science theater your way through a movie, that's the one. It, it there is plenty of opportunity to make fun of that film for any number of reasons, whether it's the not so special effects, the terrible soundtrack, the horrible acting or the bad writing. Uh it's yeah, it's just a cornucopia of terribleness. Oh uh, god. Which is also the name of my DJ, DJ yeah, album, my, my, oh, right. my release, um, but uh, was Cornucopia of Terribleness. By Niche Groove. Uh, by uh, Niche Groove. <laughs> Look for it on store shelves and Spotify. Um, but, all right, so turning away from what we have been watching in our own time, Duncan, mm-hmm. we have come here for a purpose, and that purpose is to discuss movies about crime. Yes. I included Penis as part of that description. Well, obviously, if you know, there's, I think that you should. I think you should. I think um, statistically, the majority of crimes committed on this planet are by people that have penises. 
Yes. Or are married to people that have penises. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that covers almost everyone. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's fine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our first film, Duncan, my, my pick for you. The, the first film we're talking about is uh, a film by Alain Giraudy. Uh, he says almost choking. Um, <laughs> yeah, called Stranger by the Lake, or uh, if you're in France, L'Inconnu du Lac. Um, it is a, uh, obviously, French film uh, about, uh, well, here's the IMDb synopsis. Uh, they say, summertime, a cruising spot for men tucked away on the shores of a lake. Uh, Frank, or Franck, falls in love with Michel, an attractive, potent, and lethally dangerous man. Frankenstein, I mean Frank, <laughs> knows this, but wants to live out his passion anyway. Um, this is a not, it's not a murder mystery because there's no mystery. We know, <laughs> like we see from uh, Frank's point of view early on that the guy that he's kind of obsessed with has murdered someone mm -hmm. and you know we'll get into what i think l later is the kind of comment that this movie is making but it is uh as i mentioned before available on u.s netflix which i think is hilarious because this movie has swinging dicks everywhere in it as uncut uh, excuse the pun <laughs> yes yes like you get the money shot and everything do you? Yes, on on just good old fashioned U.S. Netflix. Holy fuck! Yeah, and the right wing media hasn't picked up on this yet. No, yeah, at no point has have I seen an article that's like, "Hey, did you know there was a movie that's almost gay porn on Netflix?" Um, but it is <laughs> it is certainly graphic, and in, in, in a lot of ways reminded me of Blue is the Warmest Color. I was about to say exactly the same thing. Yeah, in, the, in that the French don't give a fuck. And are going to show you everything you didn't think you needed to see. Yeah. And then once you see it, you're like, oh, so that's how they do it. Yeah. But so. I, I, I would, I, from my point of view, uh, Bo, I, 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 I would argue that it is more likely that you will know how gay men have sex than how uh, lesbians. We'll have to say, I didn't have a fucking clue how lesbians did it until I watched that movie. And I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. I kind of knew how gay men did it. <laughs> that was no surprise to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not a surprise, but it's certainly like, it, like this movie is almost the Kama Sutra of gay sex. <laughs> but enough, enough of me talking about it. Duncan, what was your impression and or erotic response to Stranger by the Lake? Well, I, I will tell you, Bo, I will tell you, but I'll tell you what we need to do first is we need to actually let our listeners hear a very small clip from the movie, which unfortunately will be in French. Yes. Uh, in fact, the, the clip I, I will uh, insert here um, will be, uh, actually, Michelle is talking to Henri, uh, a gentleman who comes to the lake and generally sits by himself, who represents a different take on the gay lifestyle than... Uh, then does Michel, and uh, this is them yapping. I think you have intérêt to give rendezvous ailleurs maintenant. You're bien pour la saison, this story. No, you think? You're going to be in the lake where there's a noyer, you know? It's not today, but it's a few days. Déjà que le silure en avait refroidi plus tard. Encore cette histoire. Bah, tu vois le pêcheur tout à l'heure, celui qui m'a parlé du noyer. 
Il n'a pas pu s'empêcher d'y penser. Mais il y avait des traces de morsures sur le cadavre Oh non. Enfin, j'en sais rien. And so that is a, uh, a brief clip. Uh, you know, this movie is largely made up of conversations and cars pulling up. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet, and yet, I think there is a, a genius at work in this movie. And, and Duncan, what, what say you? Um, disclaimer right at the start just now, this movie is fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that's all I have to say about it. No, right. I, 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 We're done here. Yeah, <laughs> mic drop. Um, walk off the stage. Uh, yeah, I just finished watching this movie just before we recorded, and it's pretty fucking phenomenal. Um, oh, like Bo was saying, that what we have is essentially one location in this movie, and it's this lake, very beautiful, picturesque lake, where... We are led to believe that on different sides of the lake, different groups of people will go. So on the other side of where we are located for the majority of the movie, um, it's where families go and have family time down by the lake. The weather's beautiful at summertime and they can go for a swim and, and whatnot. Then there's another side of the lake where we are led to believe just random people go, you know, people that are alone or whatever. Um, but there's no one to interact with because it's relatively empty and we are at this kind of third point of the triangle of the lake which is where primarily gay men go and it's used as a kind of cruising spot for for guys to basically hook up for you know kind of casual sex or or, or whatnot go for a bit of a swim and as a result this side of the the, the beach is mostly nudist um, which i don't know that might be a I, I, I don't know how it is in america that might be a kind of foreign concept it's certainly in mainland europe france germany austria you know that there are like places which are designated nudist you know like um lake speeches that sort of thing i don't know if that is like i say i don't know how much of that kind of transfers over to american thing i don't think they tend to be exclusively used for hooking up i think it's just that's just a way of being like a naturist or, or, or whatnot um so this is this is the environment that we are in and we follow Frank who has recently started coming back to the the lake and um, spending some time there and um, Frank is a gay man, openly gay man uh, who is really only there for casual sex, that is, that is all, your swimming's optional, you know what I mean, it's, it's really yeah. the only, only reason he's there is to hook up with, 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 with different men kind of nameless sex and whatnot and um it's observed by other people that that's why he's there. And he kind of at first takes an interest um, in Henry, who is this kind of older sort of guy sitting at the the side of the lake and he goes across and speaks to him. And then the movie is told pretty much day by day at the lake. Um, Frank, we always follow it from Frank's perspective, but we always have the moment of him sitting down and speaking to Henry and through their discussions we learn a bit more about Henry as a character. At first we think that, that Henry puts forward this idea of he doesn't understand why Frank is sitting beside him and he obviously drops into the conversation that you know he had a girlfriend and he recently broke up. Then through conversations it's kind of established that maybe he's bi 
because um, he has been with men. So, and then you know, I'm doing this completely out of context because it's probably the easiest way to describe the movie. Um, towards the end of the movie, we find out that he kind of is in love with Frank, but not from a, a kind of physical point of view it's more from an emotional point of view this idea of connecting being you can fall in love with someone because of the way they make you feel as opposed to this kind of the the lust or the the idea of pure physical contact more an emotional engagement or intellectual kind of attachment to someone because frank's the only one that goes over to him he's a fairly isolated person frank's the only one that goes over to him and frank sits and talks to him um, without this idea of talking to him to have sex, he talks to him as a human being. And I'm not saying that people that just have casual sex with many different people are not humans. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, you back off, McLeish. Yeah, I'm, what, what I'm saying is that the, the modus operandi of pretty much everyone at that beach is to casually have sex with people. Um, and on some level, the movie is kind of almost pointing out that this is kind of like, I, I think anyway, which is a, a kind of stereotyped perception of what what the gay lifestyle is, like what it is to be a homosexual. Um, and the character of Henry is there for balance, I think anyway. I think he's, he's there to balance the boat to say that that's not true. Whilst the perception is out there, uh, basically... You know, you you can you can be in love with another man because of their intellect, or you can have feelings, for, strong feelings for another man because of, you know, the fact that you understand how caring they are to even take time to sit and talk to you. So I, there's that aspect. But you're right. Basically, Frank goes there quite a bit. Um, one, he's infatuated by a guy who has a a very poor Tom Selleck mustache. Um, poor who, or awesome. Uh, yeah, it's an awesome moustache. But it's a pale. very French moustache. It is a very French moustache. It does pale in comparison to the Selleck moustache of which it is trying to emulate, I believe. Um, you imagine if Tom Selleck turned out to be a gay man? Dear God. Yeah, he would. He yeah, it, he would have been the superior version of the character of Michel in this movie. Yeah, he would have been alpha gay. He would have been he top. Would, of the, he would have been top of the food chain. Yeah. Um, he, he would have exuded a level of gay that would have created gayness around him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this gay aura, this gay bubble. Um, but yeah, so basically what we have um, is Frank, who is who is becoming a bit more... After his like, first couple of times visiting the beach, he's a bit... He's, he's fair, not reserved as such, but, you know... At first, he's keeping his trunks on, you know, he's, he's not, he's not, um, or he's swimming underwear or whatever you want to call them. Um, he's keeping them on through time. It becomes more, the more interaction he has with the more people there, the more he starts to become very liberal in terms of being naked more and more in the movie. And there is a lot of naked men in this movie. Um, I would say 70%, easily 70% of the men in this movie are unclothed for the majority of the movie. Yeah. Um, and he is a, He's out swimming and he comes across this guy who um, who turns out to be um, Michelle. And um, Michelle interests him. He, he recognises him as some sort of former athlete. I think it is a former swimmer or something. He, he does recognise yeah. him. Well, he, he asks him if he, if he swam competitively. And he's like, well, not since I was a kid. And yada, yada. All right, right. I, 
I, I thought it was I, I, I've slightly slightly picking it that picked up wrong uh, which is easy to do with a foreign film it's very easy to do and yet he becomes slightly infatuated with Michelle so much so that um, when he tries to talk to Michelle Michelle's then boyfriend we were led to believe he's his boyfriend but it turns out it's just a partner that he has uh, becomes incredibly overprotective of him um, and Michelle after hooking up with someone one day, decides to stay around at the lake, and at night he sees uh, both Michelle and this this uh, other man out in the lake, and at first it looks like they're playing around, and then Michelle grabs him and puts his head under the water and drowns him, swims away, leaving the body. And the only witness is Frank. Um, and under most circumstances... That would be the end of Frank's infatuation, but on some level, this idea that you know love is blind and you know the heart wants what the heart wants, uh, and be able being able to turn a blind eye to things, uh, kind of kicks into gear, and Frank pursues more actively um, this this kind of relationship with Michelle on two fronts. I think the first front is because yeah, he does on some level he has started falling in love with him. He is in love with him, but another level, I think he wants to actually find out why he did it without actually engaging Michelle directly to say, "I know you killed that person. Why did you do it?" He kind of does it through a series of questions. Um, the two of them start hitting it off. Uh, Henry has an off-screen awkward encounter with Michelle and basically warns Frank, listen, there's something quite mad behind that man's eyes, you know, don't fall in love with him, don't get too involved with him. Um, the police start investigating um, and the, the detective in this movie is brilliant. It kind of reminds me of Willem Dafoe's character in American Psycho and that we think right from the start this policeman already knows He's like Columbo. He already knows who the killer is, but he just has one more question. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he keeps appearing at rather awkward times and asking questions constantly at Frank. He, he seems to pri- primarily focus on Frank because he thinks that Frank knows something more than what he's saying, and Frank does, but Frank won't say anything. Um, and the movie carries on along that road. Like Obviously, Frank is very much in love with uh, Michelle. Michelle is very kind of standoffish with a lot of it because he, we get this opinion that he sees relationships in a completely different way. He sees them from more of a point of lust, and when the lust is gone, then what is the point of being in this relationship anymore? Um, and he doesn't like being tied down to anything at all. He just likes this idea of casually meeting up, going away, having some fun, and then, you know, the two of them separating ways until the next day where they can follow the same the same kind of thing again. And the movie moves kind of forward uh, with, like we keep, like Bo said, we keep arriving at the lake every day and the same sort of things happen um, until Frank eventually is confronted by the policeman again who has uncovered that some of his alibi didn't quite make sense and then has indicated that he will want to speak to him at the police station. Um, Michelle then appears creepily from the shadows um, and basically kind of at first looks like he's going to intimidate him but then, you know, kind of puts forward this idea that you maybe you still love me, you know, maybe you don't want to... Because Michelle, I think, by this point knows that, you know, Frank has seen something. Um, Henry decides that he's going to have a word with Michelle kind of just, I don't know, maybe kind of try and let him know that, you know, don't don't hurt Frank, because I know things as well. That horribly backfires. Uh, Henry says enough to get him killed, basically. And when he walks away into the woods, 
Uh, Michelle goes after him. Frank, uh, I don't know if Frank assumes the worst or Frank assumes that he's cheating, which I don't know what one's more worse in his mind, that the man he's in love with is cheating on him or the man that he is in love with is a murderer. Um, but certainly at first he thinks he sees uh, Michelle potentially giving him a blowjob, I think. Um, and then he sees him walk away. When he goes over, Henry's been stabbed in the throat and is, is bleeding to death. Um, Frank tries to track down Michelle and then finds Michelle gutting the, the inspector. Um, and then Michelle very, very, very coldly turns around with a knife and chases after Frank, who hides from him. Um, and... Then Michelle calls out to him, basically saying, "You know, you know, I loved you. You know, I thought you loved me." Um, and then he kind of walks away, and Frank stands up, and and a rather cryptic sort of end. And Frank kind of calls out to Michelle a couple of times, um, when he could have easily escaped. He's now calling him out, giving away his position, and the movie ends before we find out what happens. Um, it's, it is a a very powerful piece of cinema. There is a weird humour in this that I laughed. I'd like I had coffee coming out my nose earlier on today with while, while there's people having sex in the the woods. There's this very awkward gentleman that just stands and masturbates to watch it, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's caught doing it a couple of times. To which people tell him to basically fuck off, and he asks, he basically says, you know, I, I can't do this here, and they're like, no, fuck off. So he goes away, and but this happens a couple of times, uh, even at the point we actually don't hear him do anything, and a character will turn around and say, could you not do that here? And the camera pans around to this guy standing with his cock in his hand, clearly having a tug, um, and he's like, you know, will you go away, please? <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I'm not listening to your conversation. Like, we're not even having sex, we're just speaking. I'm not listening to your conversation. It's like, well, go somewhere else. You, you uh, might accidentally hear something. Come back later. We'll be we'll be fucking then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bo is right when he says that there is a lot of penis in this. Um, there is a lot of kind of uh, implicit sex acts and explicit sex acts. Um, and that you know there are there are motions that you know two men are having sex without actually seeing penetration. There is motions that a man is giving another man a blowjob without seeing the actual deed. There is motions that a man is maybe touching himself without actually seeing the deed. There are scenes where there is an ejaculation scene, which the camera focuses on, and you see a man ejaculate on screen. Um, I'm assuming it's not the actor, and I think that's why the camera pans away um, down to that area, uh, which is very graphic, and uh, is there in this movie. So if you are offended by that sort of stuff. Um, I would firstly say, if you're an adult and you're offended by that sort of stuff, grow up. Um, yeah, right, right, get over it. Nobody's nobody's going to make you do anything you see in the movie. Yeah, like, as, as nature, right? Um, so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, I think um, it doesn't actually feel out of place in this movie. It doesn't feel like it's in there for some sort of shock value or anything. And it is French cinema. And French, like the, the European style of cinema is far more... Uh, liberal about showing nudity and sexual acts on the screen. You know, it's just not a, it's just not an issue over there. It's just really not an issue. Um, and yeah, so that's in the movie as well. What I like about this movie, um, what I really like about this movie, is that it's so simplistic, so stripped back, such an easy, simple premise, but done in in a very fresh, kind of new feeling way. I've never seen a movie that's kind of handled it in this sort of 
this sort of capacity of this idea of, you know, witnessing a murder um, and almost kind of covering up for someone you love. Um, I think this movie does it incredibly well. I think it's shot beautifully. I mean, we're dealing with sparse cast. We're dealing with one location throughout the whole movie, um, which is this lake. Um and it's done over a series of days, and I think it, I think it's an incredible movie. I think it's there's very little for me here to dislike. Um, I thought the story was great. I thought the acting was great. Um, the Michelle character is at times a very intimidating, terrifying presence on screen, and that that scene of him standing with a bloody knife after gutting a police officer and walking, not you know, is right out of a slasher movie. It's like right yeah. out of horror. Um, him just walking up with this blank, expressionless face after committing murder. Um, just walking up. Uh, is, and in fact, every time he's committed murder that we see him, we always see him walking away from the murder and there is nothing behind the eyes. It's just like this terrifying, dark presence, um, which I think is is genius. And I think Frank is phenomenal in this movie. He runs the gambit of emotions. Um, he's a, a immensely likable character. Um, even though by cinema standards he should be a dislikable character because he's only using people for sex, and we're seeing him at the point of the the start of him falling in love with someone. Um, but he embodies a lot of tropes that in society we disagree with, which is this idea of just you know, that this idea of sex for sex sake. Um, and, you know, like a character who, if this character was in any other movie, he probably wouldn't be the character you like because he's just using people for his own pleasure. Um, except with how he interacts with Henry. And I think that's what gives him this likeable quality, that he genuinely cares for Henry, he genuinely. I mean, Henry describes his emotions as, you know, the emotions which are how we describe love, you know, this quickening of the heart, the butterflies in the stomach. Every time he sees he's Frank but Frank and Frank has the same feelings back to him but it's not it's not a, you know a physical attraction it's this kind of emotional intellectual attraction which I think is handled well I think it's an incredible movie I think it's really 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 good uh, I, I agree obviously uh, otherwise I would not have chosen it but um, I you know I have a slightly different interpretation of the film mm-hmm. uh, and let's begin by saying I don't know nothing about nothing Um, but I remember in the, you know, mid eighties, uh, there, there was, uh, the big AIDS scare in the U S and the reason I know this is because I watched the movie and the band played on. So again, I'm building a theory around a different movie I saw. So (laughs) take that how, how you will. But, uh, so they wanted to close the, like, bathhouses in San Francisco during the height of the, uh, you know, prior to the discovery of the AIDS virus, just when it was, you know, called gay cancer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just knew a lot of gay men were getting it. And there was a lot of pushback because the gay community that had lived sort of in the shadows and on the outskirts of society for so long, now that they were gaining a little bit of acceptance didn't want to go back into the shadows, that they they took this idea of sexual liberation and sexual freedom as part of the identity of the gay culture. So flash forward to me watching Stranger by the Lake. And 
the way that I kind of view the the comment being made by this film is this idea that among, you know, like these cruising spots that exist in gay culture, that I think it's a criticism of that sort of thing. That Henri represents sort of what, not entirely because it, he's a bit, you know, asexual, but that he represents this idea of depth of feeling and knowing somebody and that kind of thing. And as opposed to many of the other characters who you only learn their names much later in the film. Because the whole point of a spot like this is you don't know their name. You don't know where they come from. You don't know much about them. You're just there for this physical act. Um, and, you know, like, and also the character of Michelle is, is clearly a character that's intrigued by danger or certainly lives somewhat recklessly, as seen by the fact that, you know, uh, when he's with a guy who insists that he use a condom, he's pretty cavalier about, like, look, I trust you, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's an element of that, too, in his relationship, uh, or not Michelle, but Frank uh, is a bit cavalier. And I think there, in his relationship with Michelle or his obsession with Michelle, um, he is kind of displaying that same thing, that there's something about living a bit dangerously that appeals to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think the end of the movie is kind of an expression of that, of, yes, he can get away, but does he really want to? Right. And, yeah, I you know, I think it's an interesting movie. I think the characters are, given the fact that there's so little conversation about the histories of these people, and, mm-hmm. you you know, you get little bits and pieces of their backstories. Like, you know, like, Henri is a, a logger, and he's on holiday, and uh, see how I use the European expression? Yeah, yeah, well, I got that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was silently applauding you both. And so I think there, yeah, that there's a, a surprising amount of information we have about these characters, um, d- despite the fact that there's this kind of over overarching anonymity to it all. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's like, it works both as an interesting character study and also as sort of this comment on a certain approach to the gay lifestyle of, you know, what's better, the, the sort of casual freedom where you just kind of walk around dick swinging, looking, looking for, <laughs> you know, a hookup, mm-hmm. um, or, you know wank it while watching other people hook up, which would totally be my move. That would be, <laughs> I, I would be the Eric character in this movie for sure. Um, uh, yeah. Or, or what, you know, Henri represents, which is more of a, an emotional and intellectual connection, as you said. So, um, but I think it's really fascinating. Like it's a, it's a movie that is very basic and simple. Um, and doesn't really have any twists and turns necessarily other than, sort of this, you know, orgy of violence at the end of it. Um, but, and I also think that maybe Henri gets himself killed almost on purpose as if to prove to Frank, yeah, that like this guy really is dangerous. And yeah, it's it's an interesting movie. It's one I've enjoyed, you know, thinking about. Uh, quite a bit, um, and and why the characters behave the way they do, but not because of inconsistencies, just because it's there. There are types of characters in this movie that you don't see in most films, mm-hmm. and yeah. But I, I I think it's 
tremendously successful at, at presenting a very, uh, something certainly foreign to me and not just because of its French location, but just that, you know, sort of this whole lifestyle and attitudes and things like that. And, um, I think it does it in a very thoughtful and thought provoking way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, it's one that I wasn't familiar. I'm familiar with the director, but not familiar with the movie. Um, so there was a gap there, and uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a just a really, really interesting piece of cinema. You know what I mean? Like you were saying, the the theme for this one is kind of like a thriller, murder, mystery, or whatever we, we wanted to kind of cover in terms of, and which which I would argue to an extent, neither one of our movies kind of necessarily fit into the, the, the mystery camp, really. Um, but from that thrilling point of view, as a thriller, I thought it was one of the more original ones I've seen in a while. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, well, let us turn to yet another story of gay love. <laughs> the gift. Although, you know, now that I, I say that, there is an element of homosexuality yep. or at least perceived homosexuality within the film but uh mm -hmm. um that is the uh the recent release uh the gift and uh duncan why don't you intro the film as well as uh your clip and we'll uh we'll get into this right so i chose this one because i saw it just a couple of weeks ago as part of my 31 days of Halloween and it's not necessarily a horror movie at all really but it kind of there are elements in it which are horrifying so it, it kind of got lumped in there it's that kind of fringy horror sort of thing if anything it's very reminiscent of those kind of thrillers you would see late 80s early 90s it has that sort of vibe going on in it um, so it's only out this year uh, The Gift 2015 directed by Joel Egerton who is also in the movie who's an actor you probably will know his face but you might not know his name he's been in a, in a lot um, and continues to do a lot of acting so he uh, wrote and directed this movie um, and it has an interesting cast actually when, it, when I was thinking about it Jason Bateman is an actor that I have wide, widely different opinions of depending on the movie um, I'm not the biggest Bateman fan but I have seen movies with him in it that I've been like, you are an incredible actor, your comic timing and dryness are second to none, and then I've seen other movies where I'm like, I don't know why you're in this movie, you know, I don't know why you've chosen to be in this movie, you're just not the right character for it, um, or actor, sorry so Jason Bateman, Rebecca Hall and Joel Egerton are the main people, and basically the synopsis is listed on IMDb is a young married couple's lives are thrown into a har harrowing tailspin when an acquaintance of the husband's past brings mysterious gifts and a horrifying secret to light after more than 20 years. And that is kind of what the movie's about, but that doesn't do justice to how this movie twists and turns from start to finish. Um, yeah, I saw this movie and as soon as I saw it, you know that way where people say, I saw this and I thought of you? Um, I saw this movie and I thought of Bo. I was like, Bo's going to love this movie. Bo, Bo's an obsessive weirdo. Yeah, I thought Bo will, Bo will like the twist. And I know that you, like myself, enjoy movies that kind of push things a little bit. Um, like we said earlier, have a bit of darkness to them, especially movies that have a, a kind of dark end, something which isn't all tied up in one nice, neat bow. Um, much to the, the mental itching of an American audience. Uh, I, I love movies that try and just be that a little bit darker. Um, and this movie is certainly playing with a genre we have seen a lot of 
Um, there are plenty of movies about uh, stalking and obsession and things like that, um, and they've been they tend to be all within the same genre. Funnily enough, that the gift is aiming for, I think the gift brings a slightly more interesting take to it with the twists that it does, um, and that no character in this, none of the two main characters of Jason Bateman or Joel Egerton are exactly who they seem to be right to the very end of the movie. Uh, things are still chopping and changing, and I think it's pretty fucking wonderful. Um, there is a clip about to play here, and when we come back from this clip, I'm going to ask Bo what he thought about this movie, so we'll be right back after this. Did you know that Simon was class president? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did, Mr. Uh, president. He, he, he had a very organized campaign, Simon... <laughs> Simon Says, like the children's game. Well, his campaign was based around the game. So Simon Says, and it would happen. I'll make it happen. Simon Says, uh, more time for sports. Simon Says, more choice in the cafeteria. And it happens. You got it. (laughs) You got it right. So is it, do you have like a... A poster? Posters, leaflets, buttons, buttons? parades. (laughs) Simon Says, new job. Right? Simon says, beautiful wife and a new home. Well, see, she'd have no problem starting family. Because Simon says. And welcome back. So you've just heard uh, a small clip from The Gift. A rather awkward dinner conversation. Bo, I thought of this movie. And then I thought of you. Yes. Was was I right? Yeah, so did yeah. You, did you enjoy the gift? I I enjoyed the gift very much. Um, I am also uh, I, well, I would say I'm, I'm a fan of Jason Bateman. I I think that, uh, like you said, he is um, he is gifted with very good comic timing. Yeah, his timing's but, amazing. Yeah, oh, it really is. And seeing him in this role where he's playing uh, not a funny guy at all. You know, he is. Um, uh, a, a very uh, successful and ambitious uh, kind of character. You know, Rebecca Hall is um, his wife, who is a recovering drug addict uh, of uh, a stripe. She seems to have uh, a penchant for prescription medication, <laughs> and and quite frankly, who who doesn't? It's oh, who doesn't? It's <laughs> wonderful. Um, I'm on it now, and. <laughs> Uh, and there's also been a miscarriage and, you know, they're moving, he's getting a new job, you know, they're kind of restarting their lives and, and, and hitting the reset button on a lot of things. And, you know, in comes the, uh, the character of, uh, uh, Gordo, um, who is initially Jason Bateman, uh, his character, Simon says that he doesn't recall the guy does mm-hmm. just doesn't remember him at all. And the guy seems weirdly infatuated both with Jason Bateman and uh, his wife, uh, Robin. And, you know, eventually there's the the dinner, which we heard a piece of there. um, And you start to get the sense that the guy hasn't really done all that well for himself and and could be dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's kind of the, the gig with these movies, right, is that... You, you know, th- this guy shows up from your past or or is just a weird neighbor or whatever, and he kind of insinuates himself into the lives of our heroes, and and bad shit goes down from there. Um, and this movie is, kind of plays that way for a while, 
because you have things like there's this weird, uh, you know, the, the dinner that they have. And then he invites them to dinner and he's leaving gifts on their doorstep all the time. He seems to be somewhat infatuated with Robin. Uh, when they actually go to this dinner that he hosts, um, you know, uh, he leaves suddenly, leaving mm-hmm. them alone in the house. And there's some indication as they, they explore the house in his absence that, um, you know, he, that a wife and kids live in this house. But he hasn't talked about that other than to say he's about to, you know, break up with his wife or, or they're going through the process uh, of a divorce. And then we learn, no, 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 he doesn't have a wife and kids at all. This was the home of someone who had hired him. And so, like, more and more, the the deeper you go into the film, the more it, it, it seems like the character of Gordo is imbalanced and deranged. Mm-hmm. And, and not that that's not entirely the case... But there's a note that's eventually left, you know, following this uh, dinner party gone bad where Jason Bateman's character, Simon, finally tells Gordo, like, look, we're done. Okay, we've, you know, he in private tells him, you need to stay away from us now. Mm -hmm. And so a note appears uh, that says, hey, this is the last note. I was just hoping, you know, bygones could be bygones. I've let it go. And, you know, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. I'm just kind of embarrassed of my own station in life and blah, blah, blah. And and is actually a very nice note, except that it comes from a guy that we think is a total weirdo. Yeah. And, but uh, Robin's character becomes obsessed with this idea of letting bygones be bygones. And what does that mean? Like, what what relationship did they have in the past? What, What is the water under that bridge, so to speak? And she, as she begins to question people that, you know, Simon knew in high school and, and begins to snoop around a little bit and finds this file that he's got on Gordo that has all these uh, references to biblical quotes in them and, and things like that. And the whole thing just gets weirder and weirder until we finally get the revelation that what happened was... Uh, Years before, when they were in high school, uh, it was reported that uh, Gordo was molested by a teacher. Mm-hmm. And that, according to Simon's sister, you know, Simon basically saved the day and, and kind of rescued Gordo. But the reality of it, as we learn, again, spoilers, is that it was all made up from the beginning. It was, it was a cruel rumor started by Jason Bateman's character, which then led to, uh, Gordo's father thinking that Gordo was gay and beating the ever leaving shit out of him Mm -hmm. and, and just sent this guy's life on a totally different path. Like he just, he always had this stigma, um, hovering over him and, and you can only imagine what his family life was like. Mm-hmm. following this and so ultimately gordo has uh you know kind of drugs uh ro- the character of robin mm-hmm. uh who comes up pregnant yep and uh 
Jason Bateman then later goes to kind of bury the hatchet. And and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because when, when Simon goes to talk to Gordo and we realize that Gordo is like does trivia nights at local bars and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that that's kind of his, you know, the way he earns income or at least some of his income. Um, and he gives this apology that is very familiar as the bully's apology. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing. You should accept it because I'm making it. Mm-hmm. And when Gordo is like, look, I, you know, what do you, what is it that you came here to do? What do you want me to say to you? And as the conversation progresses, Simon again just starts like throwing his shit on the ground and, you know, ends up on top of the guy. And it's really the turn in the movie, which has a bunch of turns. Like, you know, as we're discussing this, it's like our perceptions of these characters are constantly shifting. And at this point we realize like, you know what? Gordo may be the the secret hero of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that he's really the 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 guy that is, you know, the underdog. He's the guy who's picked on. He's the guy who's been wronged. And Simon um, is, you know, this bully who continues to be a bully throughout the course of his life. Yeah. And in the last few moments of the movie, which is really a great payoff, like. With these movies, you yeah. gotta you, you gotta stick the landing well, because you're building up and building up and building up, and, and you, like I said, you know you have all these shifting ideas of who these people are and what they're capable of, and in the last moments of the movie, you realize like, oh, Simon has also invented some rumor that got him the job or the promotion mm-hmm. that he is celebrating at a certain point, and then that starts to unravel because the company that has uh, promoted him starts to realize like, oh, this guy's kind of shady. It turns out, mm-hmm. and is is manipulating people to get his way. Um, his wife, irrespective of any other, um, you know, outside influences, is starting to think that the man she married is a is kind of just a bad guy mm-hmm. and kind of a selfish bully. Um, and even as she delivers a child and, and, and in the post delivery haze of that is saying like, I don't think I want to go home more specifically. I don't think I want to go home if you're there mm-hmm. and in it, like, so with the job crumbling, his marriage crumbling, Simon as played by Jason Bateman then gets a phone call from Gordo that says like, Hey, you you know, like there is a, a perception of things, you know, like the, the rumor that Simon started that led to all of this, uh, you know, Simon returns home and finds, um, is it? Yeah. A DVD that says play yeah. me and he puts it in and we see that the scene where Robin, uh, has been drugged and passed out we see that Gordo is, of course, responsible for it, which isn't a surprise. But then we see that the camera uh, follows him as he takes her into the bedroom and stands over her unconscious body. We don't see anything further than that. It's not completely creepy. But mm-hmm. it's also kind of the point of the movie is Gordo then tells Simon, you know, is the baby mine? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But isn't isn't the fact that you now have that in your head. You can't not think about it. Mm -hmm. 
and and which is exactly what Gordo was the victim of, you know. Um, and so so we are left with Simon's character losing his job, his marriage has gone wrong, and now he looks into the eyes of his newborn child and has to wonder if it's even his, which of course reminded me of True Detective season two. Um, But yeah, so, you know, like Gordo is at the end of the movie, he's still kind of a villain in a way, but because there's an implied rape and that's horrible, you know, like Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't give the guy a pass for that. Mm -hmm. But all that being said, it's it, like the whole movie is about this cycle of I did this horrible shit when I was a kid that affected this guy's life, which now comes back to affect my life. And and Jason Bateman's character has never grown out of being the selfish, ambitious bully. Mm-hmm. And the the only character who's a real innocent in this movie is Robin, who may or may not have gotten raped for her trouble. Yeah. And it is just, it's a movie where there isn't really ever a good outcome, you know, like no matter what else happens as the, the, like the movie kind of ends with this idea of maybe Jason Bateman is the father of the baby. Maybe he's not, maybe it's Gordo's baby, but it, it all rests on the idea of what do you believe? And that's, you know, the central theme of the, of the story as a whole is that no matter, no matter what the truth is, your belief is what makes, makes things real. And in, you know, the belief that Gordo was molested or was gay ruined his life. And now Gordo has engineered a situation where belief or the lack thereof, uh, or just doubt you know, mm-hmm. has put Jason Bateman in the same position. And it's really clever. It's it's well done. The like like you were saying, you know, the the twists and turns come kind of fast and furious in this movie. Um I'm trying to remember what the runtime was on this, but it wasn't long. It's like an hour it's, 40. I think it's I think it's an hour and forty, yeah. Yeah, hour forty eight is what it, it is. Flies in. And yeah, and the movie constantly is moving and and like i said the the thing that i really like about it is that you never know you you never really feel like you're on solid ground with who these people are with the exception of robin and even she has her you know hidden secret of of drug abuse and things like that but you know that's really as bad as that character gets in in the grand scheme of things she's clearly the most likable innocent person involved mm-hmm. um and and I do love the way that you go from expecting this to be, you know, like the movie that you and I have seen a million times, which yeah. is the, the, the stranger that shows up and is, you know, with dark intent and seems okay at first and then becomes, you know, like The Guest is a good recent example of that. Yeah. I, I kept thinking of things like um, like the hand that rocks the cradle, you know that you know that, that yeah. sort of idea yeah, yeah. of someone coming in being accepted, but there being a kind of ulterior um, motive. But in this one, we have a character who is incredibly sympathetic to the one, and the other one who isn't sympathetic. But through time, we realise why he isn't sympathetic because this guy ruined the other guy's life. Yeah, 
So, you know, this is why he doesn't want to be anybody near him. It's not because he finds him creepy. It's because he knows that prolonged contact of his wife around this, eventually this story will come out, which shatters the the lie in which he has built this life on. Yeah, yeah. And and that's, you know, the I suppose the danger of being a real dick when you're in uh, in school is yeah. that is that that stuff, uh, especially in today's world, um, it's, is, it's, the, it's the Steve Buscemi putting makeup on, and uh, what do you call it? Is it Happy Gilmore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he's like he's sitting. No, it's Billy Madison. It's and Billy. Madison, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he's phoning he everyone that he bullied, and he's apologizing to him. And uh, you, you got Steve Buscemi sitting, coming off the phone. He looks like an adjusted guy, but then he puts the lipstick on as he's marking the name off the list. And she just don't know when people leave. If you've been nasty to them, that's kind of why I try and live my life quite quite positively towards other people. I, I don't really see. I don't really go out my way to to upset anyone or annoy anyone or whatever, um, because you don't know what these people are like, and you don't know what they'll be like a couple of years on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I certainly um, enjoy taunting and punishing the weaker and less fortunate than myself. <laughs> but I've learned that you can end up in a real gift situation. <laughs> so you want to just you know you want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I really like the way that our our villain and hero in this movie change roles in a very logical way. Like nothing about this movie felt forced, and you know that's the other trick of movies like this is that when you get to the twist, it's got to feel like you've earned it, mm-hmm. and you certainly do in this movie. And and the way that your your sympathy uh, towards these characters characters change uh, as well is really interesting. And I love. Love seeing Jason Bateman in a role like this where he's kind of, you know, at first somewhat of a nice guy, but as the movie goes on, he's just more and more of a dick. Oh, yeah, he's he is like he plays so well, like so he plays for someone who's a comedian. Comedians inherently have to be likable in order, you know, you have to kind of like a comedian on some level to really find them funny. There needs to be some sort of connection there. For a comedian to be able to, it kind of reminded me of the dude from Creep that we saw this year as well, who's also a comedian that, for whatever reason, his weird comic timing translated over to that role just makes it work. Jason Bateman in this movie, like you say, is not playing funny at all. He's playing an inherently unlikable character. Yeah. Um, and he does it brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> he does it better than the majority of villains I've seen this year. He's just a dick. Yeah, yeah. He's a terrible, terrible human being. And, you know, it, it, it's like his wife, uh, uh, Rebecca Hall's character, is sort of our eyes into his character as well. And as she starts to turn on the guy and start to think, like, he's just probably an asshole, mm-hmm. um, that we start to come around to that way of thinking as well. And And so by the time that you get to the point of, um, her saying like, "Hey, I don't think I want you to show up anymore when I'm at home." Um, I think, I you know, I think we're totally on board with her at that point, and I, mm-hmm. I think, I yeah, I think the ending is uncomfortable. Like my biggest problem with the movie is again this implied rape because it just changes. Like on the one hand, if if the guy drugged. Robin, if Gordo drugged Robin just to set up this video to create doubt, which is what I like to believe, because I like to believe the best in people, even 
psychologically damaged weirdos. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's one thing, which is creepy enough and not, you know, behavior you can get behind, but it's justified. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if he actually raped her and gave her a child as, as a, uh, like, there's something problematic about that in my mind of, like, how do I perceive this character? And it's such a fundamental thing. It's sort of the the idea of, uh, like, the Elm Street remake of, like, I don't need to... I, I don't need to doubt whether or not he was ever a child molester. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need to know that he was a villain and a child molester. And I kind of feel like walking away from the gift, I, I sort of wanted to know if I should sympathize with Gordo on the way out of that mm-hmm. movie. You know, like as I'm leaving the, the theater lobby uh, of my mind, Duncan, um, <laughs> should I feel like that character got got what he deserved in the positive sense, like got the, the justice that he deserved or was he also just a rapist? And, mm-hmm. you know, but the fact that the movie doesn't give that to you, I think is also, um, you know, part of the, the weird charm of the film um, in that we're not given any easy answers to anything. Like none of these characters are wholly good or wholly bad with the exception of maybe Jason Bateman's character who isn't, isn't totally terrible, but just is a, he's just that alpha personality type. Yeah. And you know, that's for a person like myself, that is not like that makes him intensely unlikable to me. And as that stuff comes out, I was kind of disappointed. Like you get the first glimpse of that when they're, you know, at the, uh, uh, the dinner party that Gordo is hosting. And Mm -hmm. after he leaves and Jason Bateman kind of launches into the, you know, the bit about like, oh, he definitely wants to have sex with you and, and play mommy with you and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you're just like, oh, wow, you're being like on one level, you're probably not wrong. But on another level, you're being a total jerk about this. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he instantly hits into that as that kind of bully. It's that high school mentality, that bully high school mentality. You know, look at him. He's such a creep and he wants to do it. And then he's horrible impression. And, you know, he's, like, really kind of rather juvenile um, nicknames for body parts. And, you know, I just, like, really un-adult-like be humour, uh, you know, kind of humour coming out of him. And, um, I mean, where, where the movie where the movie kind of hits with me, and it's like you say, I think it is, I think that, that, that last step of, you know, building up Gordo in the second half of this movie as almost the underdog as almost a kind of hero you know that he if anything what he's doing is he's opening the wife's eyes up to how much of a monster she's married to i mean she didn't know any of this and you know and she clearly wants to know and he's helping her all that way and the genius of that is just as you start to feel sympathy for that character on that level it then implies that he may have raped a woman and that i'm like oh there we go. <laughs> yes. And now we're back to square one. And I think yeah. that's genius. I think that's absolutely genius. And I think a movie like this needs to have that. I think it needs to go that one extra step. I think it needs to 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 put them that last final exclamation mark at the end just for emphasis. And it does it perfectly. It does I mean it like you're talking about sticking landings. I think this is one of the more memorable endings to a movie I've seen this year. Just in that I think it is the best way to finish the movie. And I love the fact that it doesn't go into any more detail after that. We have him walking out the 
the um, the hospital, and 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 Bateman just kind of the the the, the full realization kind of washing over him of you know for a fact a character like that is never going to be able to live without knowing the knowledge. You know, he can yeah. ask for a parenti a, a parenti. Uh, I can't say that word now. Paternity. Paternity. Thank you. A paternity test, and if he does that though. His wife is going to ask why, and that just makes him yeah. out to be an even bigger dick. It yeah. is, it is the perfect end to a movie, and I love all the chops and change. I think this movie, in a lot of respects, on some level, reminds me to uh, Cold in July last year, which had about four or five twists in the narrative, which you were like, "Oh right, this cat, oh this character's evil." Now, no, maybe he's not that bad. Oh, it's this sort of movie. Oh my god, look at the end. Um, <laughs> right. the gift, you know what I mean, the gift <laughs> does exactly the same, and. Um, I, I will go as far as to say that in recent memory, as thrillers go, The Gift is in my top, my top ones, definitely top five easily, just because it, it, it does, to me, there's very little in here at all, which I would say is, the only criticism I might have, and it's a minor one, is I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of Jason Bateman as a bully, like through like a flashback or something, but then I'm thinking to myself, the the balance is so fine on how we feel about the characters going through that if you tip it slightly in one way it doesn't work. Um, you know, if if I caught on to how evil Bateman is as a character earlier on in the movie, then the end that you know that the section in the middle, you know, where he beats him up and throws his stuff about the ground doesn't have the same impact because I expect that from that character. So, yeah, maybe the balance is perfect actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I I did never feel like. Like I, like you said, I feel like the transition of our impression of that character from, you know, dealing with this annoying guy that he doesn't remember to, oh crap, no, he's just a terrible person. Mm. It, like I think that's handled really, really well. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think as you know, uh, as our theme implied this week uh, about a central crime, you know, for Stranger by the Lake, it's a drowning. Um, and, and for the gift, the real crime that sets everything off is just a simple child's lie, really. Um, mm -hmm. and that leads to much more intense sort of behavior, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, this movie should be shown to children of all ages. <laughs> as a warning. As a warning not to be a bully, because then your wife could potentially be raped by the guy you bullied. Um... <laughs> I, you know, I, that's as, as Sean Connery would say. Here endeth the lesson, boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he pulls a knife. You pull a rape. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, I feel like it is time to hash this out. Yes. Uh, once again, two very different but very good films. I don't think either of us. Uh, the, the only caveat I think we're giving for recommendations this week is, is with stranger by the lake. There is a, you know, a heavy, uh, amount of, uh, you know, male nudity and male sex, male on male sex. So if that thing, if that sort of thing icks you out, then probably not the movie for you. Yeah. It's, you can't, you can't, well, it's not something that you, you can easily skip by either. Cause it's, right. it's, it's a like, good, it's a good 50% in this movie. So, right. It's not like you could be like, okay, from minute, you know, eight to minute nine, you're going to want to jump over that scene. No, no, no. It is, it is pervasive and rampant. Um, 
So, all right. Here is my initial reaction, Duncan. All right. To, to the movies that we have before us, and, and let's see how you feel about it. I think The Gift is a very, very good, taught, well-constructed, well-acted, well-written thriller. Mm -hmm. I think Stranger by the Lake is a better movie because it does stuff, even though The Gift does stuff that, not that I haven't seen, but it just does stuff in a way that is very, uh, very confident and, 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 it, it manipulates you very well as a viewer, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, it's a strong movie in that it, it, it's narrative and, and structure is, is precise. And if you screw any of that up, that whole movie falls apart and it doesn't like it does it right. Stranger by the Lake seems like it to me, uh, and not just because it's like all French and artsy and whatnot, but it's just, it, it's a different world a different kind of group of characters than I can recall seeing in a movie. Um, the fact that there is this murder at the center of it and the way that characters react to it is fascinating. Like I have thought more about stranger by the lake after seeing it than I did the gift. Like when I walked away from the gift, I thought that was really good. Let me, you know, kind of play back the key moments in my mind and, and see how this was constructed and broken down and the way that, uh, uh, Joel Edgerton, who wrote and directed the movie, like did a phenomenal job of creating this house of cards that could have gone horribly wrong, and it doesn't. And and it's worth, it's a movie worth seeing and worth dissecting on that level. Stranger by the Lake, on the other hand, is a movie to me that just has this lingering sense of kind of weirdness and just un like taking a very basic uncomplicated story structure and making it incredibly compelling and showing me, like I said, you know, characters and situations that not only had I not seen before, I was just wildly unfamiliar with and seems to be making a bit of a headier comment about a particular group of people and the way that they interact with one another. And it, it seems like a more important movie without sounding too pretentious about it. But it, it feels like it, it's a movie that has a, a very distinct perspective and something to say on a, a very personal level from the filmmaker. That's where I come down. So what one's your better one then? Just confirming you. I am saying, I am saying stranger, stranger by, by the lake, lake right. is, is the better movie. And, but it, it's sort of that alligator Calvair situation. Yeah. <laughs> of, of what would I want to watch more? I would, I, I enjoy watching the gift more. I think stranger by the lake is ultimately a more rewarding film experience. Hmm. Yeah. I, Cause I kind of feel like we've come in at, we've come in completely polar opposite from last year. It's uh, last year, last week. Um, and that, it would generally be me that would be bringing, and in any other scenario, I would have brought your movie to the table, and you probably would have bought my movie to the table. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. kind of feels like we'll, we'll swap places uh, this week. It's like Freaky Friday, <laughs> you know, everything. We'll kind of swap places for a wee bit, um, cause by my very nature, I am more inclined to enjoy foreign cinema. I, t I tend to enjoy European cinema. I really enjoy French cinema. Um, and 
you know, the, the, the gift is in a very American movie. It's the sort of movie that is made, was made a lot and still is made a lot by American filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a weird one because my instinct, my gut is to go with Stranger by the Lake because it is everything I like in movies. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, it has that kind of heady sense of symbolism and there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of subtext in there. Um, in that movie, which I think as you could you could pick it out for days, weeks, months, years and debate what exactly the motives of Frank is as a character and come away with completely different things from every viewing, which I think is you know, the testament to really great cinema, uh, as cinema that should make you think constantly it shouldn't just be an open and shut case um, so yeah and your movie has a murder in it, it which does kinda, have a murder which kind of makes it more in keeping with what the theme was for this particular episode. The gift, on the other hand, doesn't have a murder. And without that murder, plays into all the tropes we expect from a movie, which should have a murder. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it, yeah. it plays into. It does everything but give you the murder. If anything, it's a character assassination as opposed to an actual physical killing. Um, and when it comes to pure enjoyment I enjoy the gift more because I love this idea of of constantly like from the first viewing anyway maybe less on the second viewing but having this oh right I know where it's going oh right no you're not that oh actually you're a bit of a right you are a dick oh you're a bigger dick than I thought oh you're a horrible individual but now I like this guy I'm not sure why he's doing this now you're creepy now I really like you. I'm behind you now. Oh, you may have raped someone. <laughs> right. I think, you know what I mean? That yeah. when, when you lay out the maps for those characters, the fact that the movie manages to not lose a bit and become too cliche or too schlocky or too, uh, you know, cringeworthy at any point is a testament to great writing and great directing. I mean, that movie, like I said, with a slightest, like, too much emphasis either way on either side. That movie falls apart like a like a house of cards. Yep, that, yep, yep, yep. You know, it, it really does. So it's it's difficult for me because the 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 pure cinema lover in me is saying this is this is easy. This is a no contest. It's you know Stranger by the Lake because that's that's the cinema you like, Duncan. That's the one you champion all the time. That's the one that is for you. But the part of me that's like. You know, we're talking mysteries, we're talking thrillers, we're talking, you know, everything except the murder. The gift gives me everything I want and gives it in a way which it shouldn't work. And that's before I even start throwing things on the top. That's a Blumhouse production. Um, and this, in my opinion, is the best thing Blumhouse has ever put his name to by quite a bit. And uh, Whiplash. Is Whiplash purely Yep. Blumhouse? Is yep. it right then? This sits behind Whiplash then. I, I, I thought... I thought it was just for distribution, but I might be wrong. I, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. I, I but, could uh, be wrong. Well, let's, that, well yeah. let's work on Whiplash is a phenomenal movie. We, we need to say no more about that. It's the best thing. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. gift is right behind it. Whiplash doesn't feel like it was made for five million, though. The gift feels like it was made for that, you know, Blumhouse five million budget. Just putting that out there. The gift feels like... I, I, it is, yeah, I don't... I don't know. I don't the, know. The heart wants what the heart wants, Duncan. If you're if you're saying the gift is the superior film or the better recommendation, let's get down to the root of the the, the premise of the show uh-huh. is your recommendation of the gift to me is at heart a better recommendation 
than me recommending Stranger in the Lake or Stranger by the Lake to you. If you can stare yourself in the mirror <laughs> and and say that with a straight face, like this is it, I don't know, mate. Um, then I'll allow it. I'm I'm willing I'm willing to concede a split vote on this because I think I think the gift is great. I think everything you're saying about it, I totally agree with. I think I do think that Stranger by the Lake is the stronger film. It's the better movie. It's the better movie, and it works on. It works on more levels. Yeah. And I mean, but both, yeah. but like I said, this is a real alligator situation of what movie would you want? If, if you were going to tell me you've got to watch one of these movies right now, I would probably watch the gift because it's, it's fast paced. It's, it's super entertaining. The twists are fun to follow all that stuff. Stranger by the Lake is a denser watch. It's a more plotting pace. But at the end of the viewing, I feel like I've seen something that feels more substantial. Yeah, you can almost feel on some level that you've watched an auteur like work his craft on screen. Yes. I think that's I think that yeah. I don't think I could live with myself if I didn't go with Stranger by the Lake. I d I don't think I it, to me is it's a fucking incredible movie. I said at the start, I think it's an incredible movie. It's a it's a better movie than the gift. The gift maybe on some level potentially hits the brief a bit better, even though it doesn't have a murder, maybe hits the brief a bit better on this show. But I have argued in the past that I tend to opt for what I think is the better movie than necessarily what is the most accurate pinpoint on the brief. Yeah, Stranger by uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Stranger by the Lake. Stranger right. by the Lake. If you can look yourself in the mirror <laughs> I, I and tell me. The mirror again, but that's uh, yeah, this right. show. This show is weighted so heavily on my shoulders that I'm aging horribly by every recording. <laughs> um, I mean, I agree. Like, you know, there there is a distinction that we often make on this show between what is the more entertaining movie and which is the better movie. Yeah, definitely. And you know, it, it this is another of those you know devil's bargains that we get into, which is like you know, when am I going to watch Stranger by the Lake again? Probably not for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I'll probably watch The Gift in before the end of the year. Yeah, I think the thing about it, from, from my point of view, um, just in case anyone is maybe a bit dubious as to why I have a, why I'm definitely coming down with Stranger in the Lake, is, yeah, you're right, I probably won't watch that movie again this year. If I watch it next year, though, I can almost guarantee I'll have a completely different outlook on what is happening in the movie. I'll still love it, but I'll just have a different idea of where I think, you know, I might come away with a completely different theory as to why characters are behaving the way they are. Um, and that's, a, I, I tend to enjoy movies like that more in the long run. I'm not saying that the gift doesn't have, the gift relies pretty heavily on this idea of the twists. I don't know how a second run of the gift will feel because I already know those twists. Yeah, yeah. Like once you know the moves that the gift is going to make, you know that movie. You know that movie, yeah. yeah. And Stranger by the Lake gives you the twist and you're within 15 minutes of the movie and still holds your attention for the entire movie and that is difficult and and it also makes a dramatic moment out of the fact that a red peugeot is no longer in a, in a, a parking lot yeah that's yeah. that's all right all right so i think i think we're ultimately in agreement yes stranger by the lake and and thus by proxy yourself myself 
winner of this episode, the crime episode, which oh. brings us back to a tie, Duncan. We are midway through the season and are tied up. It's as if we never did a show. And really is. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, and, and, and we both have in reserve the a winner, winner beast, beast rule. Yeah. Which... which basically takes an episode out each for us. So really, really, we only have, what, four movies <laughs> that we can win on? So someone needs to win three. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, before like, the end of the season. To to quote uh, my man Easy, shit just got real. <laughs> I don't know if Easy even said that. I'm sure he did at some point. Yeah, uh, he did at some point. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I got in my uh, my first screener of the year, or I'm sorry, second screener of the year, uh, which was straight out of Compton. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that again. That's a quick turnaround as well for a screener to come in. They must be, they must be aiming to get it out before Christmas on Blu-ray, I would imagine. Well, no, it's, uh, you know, the award season stuff. Oh, fuck, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, that's what you mean by screeners, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, you know... But I like the fact that they're they're pitching that as an award worthy film because I agree that it is. I think so. Yeah, I think I think you would there would be raised eyebrows if it wasn't. I think at the very least it's got to get what nominated for screenplay. One mm-hmm. would think. Yeah, yeah, and it, maybe even soundtrack actually as well. Yeah, and I wouldn't be against the idea of Giamatti getting nominated for best supporting. Giamatti should just be nominated for everything he does. I think that guy is like woefully underrated as an actor, and I don't get it. I don't yeah. get. I, I don't understand why when anyone is thinking about any movie, they're not thinking who could play the oh Giamatti. Let's give him a phone. Um, it just seems yeah, it, it seems very 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 strange. Um, all right. Well, before we get out of here, let's uh, let's let's first uh, mention briefly what uh, what movies are you looking forward to seeing before we reconvene. Uh, funnily enough we've already mentioned it the new paranormal activity movie i don't know necessarily if i'm looking forward to seeing it but i'm i'm interested to close out that chapter um of of horror cinema um and uh see where what the next big franchise that will dominate halloween's moving forward will be so um that's probably that's probably the one i'm most looking forward to checking out what about yourself I am very much looking, after you mentioned it, I'm looking forward to seeing The Final Girls. I may may watch that a bit later. I uh, would be really interested to, to hear your take on that, because I know that you are not, you are not um, beholden to this idea that the slasher genre is purely sacred and can't be mocked. Uh, yes, I agree with that. I think that mocking, you know, I think any genre really can, can stand up to a little bit of ridicule. Yeah. Uh, but I'm very curious. Like I'm, you know, the, I've heard nothing but good things about this movie. So I'm kind of walking in with reasonably high expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that, but I, I also agree. I think, uh, um, probably next week I'm going to try to sneak out for uh, a screening of the last Paranormal Activity movie. And I, I was told, like, hey, you really kind of should see it in 3D. Um, oh. So, because I don't think the entire movie uses uh, 3D. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that the moments where it does employ that device are, like, it does it in kind of a gimmicky way, but that the gimmick is good. Um, you know, I don't it, like people always that I think gimmick is a much maligned word, 
mm-hmm. because it implies that yes, it is it is done to uh, to be a little bit sensational. Um, but you know, it, if if the gimmick works, like the gimmick of Jurassic Park is dinosaurs, and that works. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want to whip a little 3D on me in a Paranormal Activity movie, I, I can kind of get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard that you actually, like, see ghosts and stuff in in this movie instead of just stuff moving around. So, I'm curious about that as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm interested to see where it goes, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, we will be back in a fortnight. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, with a another pair of movies uh, once again tied up on our on our road to episode thirteen, which as always will be Duncan and Bo come incorrect. <laughs> I'm already starting to think about that episode. Um, um, I'm get, I better start thinking about that episode. So <laughs> yeah, so you can uh, you can reach us uh, at uh, DBCC podcast at uh, DBCC or I'm sorry, I always screw that up. DBCC at DBCCpodcast.com. You can find this show uh, as well as the podcast Under the Stairs, which Duncan hosts uh, on LegionPodcast.com. And there's also uh, Doing the Nasty and... uh, A multitude of... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The list goes on and on. You are everywhere, sir. You are ubiquitous. But uh, but check us out there and follow us on Twitter at Legion Podcasts. And uh, Duncan, anything else you would like to add before we, uh, we beat feet? Uh, just thanks everyone for checking out the show and thank you very much for the support um, I genuinely love doing this show it's one of those rare opportunities to get to talk about out with the horror genre um, and yeah hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well remember you can always rate us on iTunes uh, give us some love over there it pushes us up the ratings and I'll speak to you all in a couple of weeks time alright uh, same goes for me we'll see you next time bye everybody bye. Bye.